Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done for us as we just finished celebrating the Easter season. May we continue to remember your great power at work in our lives and in this world. And may we remember your promise to bring it to completion. We thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel message and for the wonderful news of your work continually at work in our lives. Fill us now with the Holy Spirit as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a sermon series here where we're walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We took a little break over the Easter season, and now we're getting back into it. If you don't remember where we had been, we had finished up chapter 4. And at the end of chapter 4, Paul reminded the people that we should encourage each other, and specifically we're to encourage each other about what God will do for those who have died in Christ. That from the world's point of view, death is a terrible end, but from God's point of view, it's not. So we can encourage each other that those who have died in Christ, they are with him. And as uh, somebody reminded me earlier this morning, our loved ones might be singing to Jesus at this very moment right now. So the encouragement from chapter 4 is that God will take his people to be with him, and that includes the people who have died in Christ. Now, in our passage today, in chapter 5, it ends... Uh, our passage at least, verse 11, ends by saying again that we should encourage one another and build each other up. So there's a similar encouragement today, but just a a slightly different approach to it. In the the two passages, if we look at the end of chapter 4, that answers the question, what will happen to people when they die? The question that we could ask from our passage today is, how will the end of the world come? Now, Paul doesn't give a lot of detail of how the world is going to end in this passage. He just gives one very simple answer to it, that it's going to end with the day of the Lord. There is a day that is coming. Now, our next question might be, what? When? When is that day of the Lord? And, and we might think, oh, if I just knew when that day of the Lord would come, then I would be ready. But... There's another question, or another, another statement that we might slip in there. If we knew the exact time of Jesus' coming, we might say what? Maybe I don't have to get ready until a little bit later. And God in his wisdom did not want it to be that way. God wants us constantly to be ready. So he's told us that the end has come. There will be a day of the Lord. That day will be judgment for those who have rejected Jesus, and it will be salvation for those who have received him. And that day will come. We don't know when it is. In fact, Jesus said in Acts 1-7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So we do not know the day that Jesus is coming again. But there are some things that we do know about the day of the Lord. And in my sermon today, I want to talk about two of those. And I'll, I'll tell you them right off the bat. In regard to the day of the Lord, number one, we know what's coming. And number two, we know how to prepare. Again, the day of the Lord is coming. It'll be judgment for all those who have rejected Jesus. It'll be salvation for all who have received him. Let's read our passage. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night." 
and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So again, point number one today, we know what's coming. Let me use an illustration here. When Christine was pregnant with our second child, Lydia, we didn't know exactly when the day was coming. We had a a due date, but as you know, that's just kind of like a dartboard sort of a date, that it could be anywhere in that range. And uh, as a newer pastor at that time, I started to think, well, what if she's born at like 3 o'clock on Sunday morning? That would, be, that would be bad news for Sunday for me, so I should probably do a little bit of preparing. So I, I asked a pastor friend that I knew. He had, a, he had a message he'd given in the past. I said, can I get a DVD copy of that? It's just in case we need it, we'll do that. Uh, we had called my mom, and I think my mom was kind enough to come for all three. After our firstborn, uh, she was kind enough to come for the, the next three births to stay with our kids. Um, Now, fortunately, pregnancies don't last forever. Can I get an amen from the women on that one? (laughs) Amen. Can I get an amen from the men on that one? (laughs) No, no, don't, don't say it. We're all thankful, right, that pregnancies don't last forever. Um, Now, in our passage today, we are told that the day of the Lord is coming. It may may feel like it's never going to come, just like it may feel like that pregnancy is never going to end. But it is coming. And in verse 1, Paul says, interestingly, about times and dates we do not need to write to you because, as he says in verse 2, that that day is going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus said a similar thing in Luke 21. He said that if we're not prepared or careful, that that day will come unexpectedly like a trap. So while some people are living with a false sense of peace and safety, like it says in verse 3, destruction comes. And I was thinking about that. What kind of false peace or safety might we live in today? Well, we might think, well, we, we live in the strongest nation on the world, and we haven't had a war on our soil for how many years? And we might think that, that we live in relative peace and safety here, but let's not fall into that trap, because destruction could come at, at any time. The day of the Lord is unavoidable, like labor pains for a pregnant woman. So Paul has actually used two different analogies here so far. He's used the analogy of a thief in the night, and he's used the analogy of labor coming for a pregnant woman. And taken together, I like how the pastor theologian John Stott put this. He said that the day of the Lord will be both sudden and unavoidable. Sudden and unavoidable. There is a day in which God will judge, and for those who are on the wrong side, that day will be a terrible day. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a passage that basically says, why do you look forward to that day? That day is going to be a day of judgment for God's enemies. Now, that brings up the question, why will God judge? Now, for many of you, you've, you've resolved this question in your mind a long time ago, but I think it's worth talking about today. Why does God judge Well, his judgment has everything to do with our sin. And let me just put one verse on the screen that I think is really helpful in this regard. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. You see, God has a path for us, and any time we would go on a different path, we're going to feel that separation from God, and God is right to punish us. 
it reminds me of a conversation I had with a father recently. He, was, we, he and I were talking about this idea of disciplining our children, and he said that he had been having some success lately by telling one of his children this, this quote here, I'll, I'll say it. He, he says, you're in charge of your actions, I'm in charge of your consequences. <laughs> Kids, you get that one? <laughs> Adults, did you get that one? You're in charge of your actions. I'm in charge of your consequences. And God has given us the ability to make choices. Sometimes we use those choices very poorly. And think of it from God's perspective. He is very justified to bring about judgment or punishment when we walk away from him. Now, in his patience, God has reserved the brunt of that punishment until the day of the Lord. Right right now, he has tolerance and patience for us as he waits for us to repent. But please know there will be a day, the day of the Lord. It will be a day of judgment for some, but salvation for others. So we know what is coming. That leads to my second point. We know how to prepare. Now it's interesting to me, in verse 2, we're told that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We don't know when. It will be sudden. But then it says in day four, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So which one is it? Well, it's both. You see what's going on here? The day of the Lord will come like a thief, but for those of us who are walking with the Lord, it should not surprise us like a thief. Why? Because we know it's coming and because we can be prepared. Now, let's think again about the two analogies that we've seen so far in our passage. We've seen the analogy of a thief, and we've seen the analogy of labor. You can prepare for both of those things. For a thief, you can prepare by locking your doors. You can prepare perhaps by sleeping next to a phone so that you can call 911 if somebody breaks in. Or if you want to go even a step further, you can get a security system of some sort. You can be prepared for the coming of a thief. Or... Uh, like I've already talked about in regard to labor and pregnancy, you can be prepared, even though you don't know exactly when that kid is going to come, unless you've got it scheduled for C-section. I get that. They didn't have those back in this day. So um, maybe they did. I doubt it. But uh, I didn't study that part. But you can prepare for a child to come. You can call family and friends to be there at a moment's notice. You can have your bag ready to go. You can be prepared for that moment. That's how God says it is with the day of the Lord. We can prepare. And in verse 5, it contrasts day with night. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. We are children of the day. We are children of the light. Now, now these are spiritual terms that we're talking about here, right? I've been walking through the book of 1 John in our college ministry. Many of you are probably very familiar with the analogy in the first chapter of 1 John where it says that God is light and he invites us to walk with him in that light. So I've I've been drilling it into the the heads of the college students that that these wonderful truths that that God loves us and God is perfect. He is like the radiance of perfect light and he invites us into fellowship with him. So if we are going to be with him, we should be what? Walking in the light. Now we're always going to be tempted to stray off into the darkness. And what do we do? If If we ever find ourselves straying towards the darkness, We repent quickly and we come back to God so that we can again walk with him in the light. It's actually this this beautiful, wonderful word picture that God loves us and wants us to be with him in the light. So then, as it says in verses 6 and 7, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, don't get confused. In our previous passage... Sleep meant death. 
Paul was using it as a euphemism, a soccer term for death. And later on in our passage again today, Paul is going to go back to that, where sleep means death again. But sleep doesn't mean death here in verse 6. Sleep means moral corruption here. It's, it's compared with drunkenness. And the idea is that th- this is the, the kind of actions that people do when they're walking in the darkness. So that's what the sleep refers to here in verses 6 and 7. It's a contrast between night and day. And the contrast is as stark as night and day. So let's not walk in the deeds of darkness. Like it says in verse 6, we are to be alert and self-controlled. And that reminds me of another verse where we see those two words paired together. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, self-controlled is a word um, that's obviously the opposite of uh, of drunkenness. It could be, I think that some translations translate it as sober-minded. So it's a simple analogy again. Think about what happens when a person is drunk. The alcohol takes over, in a sense, and, and people start to make really poor decisions. We're not to be like that. See, we see that our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. He wants to devour us. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk around with, with self-control, with sober minds. See, God gave us our brains, and we're supposed to use them. We're supposed to be aware of Satan's schemes. We're supposed to be aware of temptation that would come our way. We're supposed to be self-controlled. And we're also to be alert. Now, that word alert can mean awake. It can mean to keep watch. Uh, I remember, this is one of, those, uh, one of those moments that's kind of etched into my mind. I was a senior in college and I went to a conference with crew and the speaker, his name was Eric Tonis, he was talking about this word alert and he, and he said that we should be spiritually alert and it just it made perfect sense to me that, that we should be walking around as people who understand that there is spiritual stuff going on all over the place all the time in our lives so we should be aware, we should be alert we should be awake to what is going on in our lives it, it's not like we, we go through our life just doing the normal stuff of life, and then every once in a while we engage in spiritual activity. It's that everything we do has ramifications for our spiritual life, so we should be spiritually alert at all times. Temptations can come at any time. Opportunities to serve the Lord can come at any time, so we should be spiritually alert. Constantly talking to God about what He wants for us in our lives. Let us walk in the light. God invites us into the light with him. The day of the Lord is coming, and as such, we don't want to be walking in the darkness. And then if we get back to our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So in our self-control, we walk around in faith, hope, and love, and then we clothe ourselves with this breastplate and with this salvation. Now, I was studying verse 8, and let me just say, as a pastor, and and Josh could probably give an amen to this, it would be really easy to do a a sermon series on faith, hope, and love. Or similarly, you see the words breastplate and salvation. We could flip over to Ephesians 6 and easily do a a long sermon on on the spiritual armor that we are to clothe ourselves with. Um, But I I resolved in my mind, and you can be thankful for this, I only want to preach one sermon today. So I'm going to try to keep my words here somewhat brief in verse 8. But I just want you to know, I mean, look at these these powerful terms we have here. And I want you to 
to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, because that would, that would be better for you to hear from the Holy Spirit right now than for me just to add words upon words. But I want you to know, faith, hope, and love, there are powerful things there. And then this, this spiritual armor that God gives us that we can clothe ourselves with, there's powerful stuff there. So, j- just briefly, faith, um, God has a direction he wants us to go, and our best life is going to be the one where we go with him in that direction. We are constantly going to be tempted to go in a different direction, but by faith we choose to go with God where he has us. Hope, hope is a wonderful thing. God has told us the end of the story already, and it works out really well for his children. Now we go through difficult stuff here, but we can know because of the certainty of future hope, we can have that, that peace, that contentedness right now as we wait for God, knowing that he will come. And then love. Uh, who in the world doesn't want love? I'll tell you who doesn't want love. Somebody who's not being honest with themselves. We all want love. And God gives it to us because God is love. And as we live in God, we live in love. So we, we love God, and he fills us to overflowing so that we can love those around us. So we are to walk around in faith and in hope and in love. And those things become for us like spiritual armor, like a breastplate or a helmet to protect us against attack because there will be attacks. And that Ephesians 6 passage talks about the, the fiery arrows of the evil one that come against us. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand our ground. So, um, there is stuff, spiritually speaking, in this world that our enemy would use to try to kill us. Remember the enemy? His, His goal is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have abundant life. So we walk around in faith, hope, and love. We daily clothe ourselves with the armor of God. Somebody has told me he's got a poster up and he prays every day about the armor of God. And as we walk around like that, we will be prepared. And the day of the Lord will then not surprise us like a thief. Even though it will be sudden and unavoidable, we don't need to be surprised. We can be prepared. Because you see, God's desire isn't for us to face wrath, but to receive salvation, like it says in verse 9. God has good plans for his people, and that plan is salvation. Uh, I want to read, I was just reading a psalm this morning, in Psalm 71, um, and I felt like it was a good word for a preacher, so I want to, I want to read it for you. It said, My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. So do you know what my job as pastor is? Is to tell you something that I don't fully know about. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you about salvation, though I know not its full measure. But I want you to know that salvation is a wonderful thing. And, and we know a lot about it, just like with the day of the Lord. We don't know everything about it, but we know a lot about it. With salvation, we know that it's only in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection constitute the only grounds for us to be saved. So for those of us who would like to receive that gift of salvation, we receive Jesus. We receive the forgiveness that he purchased for us with his blood on the cross. We receive Jesus as our Lord and our Master, giving our life to him, committing to walking on that path that God has for us. So if that's you, just simply... In your heart, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in the resurrection 
you will be saved. Confess with your lips even. I'd encourage you to tell somebody. If you've never told anybody before that Jesus is Lord, you should do that today. In Romans 10.9 it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's be people who confess that. And look at verse 9 again then. If we have that salvation, that means that we don't have to face wrath. When the day of the Lord comes, it won't be wrath for us. Because God does not want us to go through that wrath. Although, let's be careful with this verse. I think that some Christians might make this verse, verse say more than what it actually says. It says that we will um, be saved from God's wrath. That wrath would be the wrath that he pours out on his enemies at the end time. Please don't look at this verse and assume that God tells us that we won't have trouble in our lives because we will have trouble. Jesus has promised us that we will have trouble. He has also promised us that he has overcome this world and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us so that we can go through our life with God, whatever comes our way. No, this verse is talking about the wrath of God. And let me just put a, verse, a different verse on the screen to clarify what we're talking about here. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So clearly, we don't want to be in that camp, right? There is a day of the Lord coming of wrath for God's enemies, of salvation for his children. It should be obvious which side we want to be on. If you're at all unsure which side you're on, please settle that matter today with the Lord. And if you'd like to talk with somebody, I would be glad to do that. And there are others here, of course, who'd be glad to do that as well. Don't, don't go for the rest of the day. Don't go for any more days in your life not knowing which side of this you're on. God does not want us to see wrath but wants to give us salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's for everyone who believes. That's the best way for us to prepare for the day of the Lord, is to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Then let's move on to verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Here again is where the word sleep means death. So whether we are going to be alive until Jesus comes again or whether we die before that time, in, in one sense it doesn't matter because we get to be with him. This is very similar to the promise that we saw at the end of chapter 4 in verse 17. And, and this gets at what I call the biggest blessing in the Bible. And I, I've said this a lot of times. I thought I should maybe just write it down one time and, uh, and say it the way that I want to say it. So I, I put that up on the screen here for you. This is what I call the biggest blessing in the Bible. Through the gospel, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. Therefore, we can live with God right now, and we have the promise of living with him forever. That is God's heart for us, to, to save us and to bring us to be with him now and forever. And yes, by now we have to walk by faith because we don't see him, but on the day of the Lord, when he comes again, our faith is going to turn into sight, and we're going to walk with him forever in the perfect place. Here's how uh, John Stott put it. The foundation of Christian faith and hope, indeed the essence of the good news, is that Jesus died and rose again in order to bring us into union with him, and that when he comes, he will take us to be with him forever. And because this is God's plan for us, we can have real peace. This isn't like the, the false peace and safety that the people were talking about in verse 3. This is the true peace that comes from God because we are with him and because he watches over us. And that's why, again, like we started with, 
like it says in verse 11, that we can encourage one another, that we can build each other up because it is true that God loves his people and will bring us to be with him forever. In Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that a great promise? From nothing, nothing that could happen to you in this world can separate you from the love of God. So we know what's coming, the day of the Lord, and we know how to prepare. My conclusion then, the best way to prepare for what is coming is to walk daily with Jesus. One of the ways that I like to say this is that there is just no substitute for a daily walk with Jesus. There's no circumventing the system in order to get God's blessings without the daily walk with Jesus in which God has chosen to give us his blessings. We are to walk in the light because we belong to the day. We are to be alert and we are to be self-controlled. Now, I thought in my conclusion it would be good here to show you some of Jesus' words on this topic. So I should maybe warn my son here. Yes, my conclusion is going to be a little bit longer today, but uh, I wanted to give you some of Jesus' words. So is that a good reason to go just a little bit longer? So Mark 13, verses 32 to 37. Jesus said, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So again, that's why we don't talk about times and dates. Jesus didn't even know. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that, day will, when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So the word for watch in this passage comes up in verse 34, 35, and verse 37. It's the same as the word in our passage that was the word for awake or alert. So Jesus in these verses compared our lives to those of servants whose master had gone away. And by the way, the word owner in this passage is the same word for master. It's the same word that describes that Jesus is our Lord. So I find it fascinating in verse 34 that this, this master goes away and leaves his servants in charge. Now to me, it doesn't, that doesn't quite feel right. Like I don't feel like I'm up to that task in many ways. But on the other hand, it does make sense because he has not left us alone. Jesus said he does, hasn't left us as orphans. We have the Holy Spirit in us and, and God is with us. So yes, Jesus has, has gone up into heaven. He's ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father. There's a day when he's coming again. But right now, we live as servants in his house. And what are we to do? We are to watch. Should we fall asleep on the job like they did in in this passage here? Do not let him find you sleeping in verse 36. Of course not. We're to be alert. We're to be keeping watch. We have important things to do here and now as we wait Jesus to come back. So that's what I wanted to get at in this conclusion here. What are those things that we should be doing here if we are to be prepared, ready for that time when our master comes back? What should we be doing? How do we keep watch? How do we remain spiritually alert on a daily basis? Well, let's think about a servant. What does a servant do? A good servant. They look for ways to serve. Have you ever known those people, you ask them to do one thing for you, and when you come back, you see that they've done like seven things for you? <laughs> or there are other kinds of people where if you ask them to do something for you, you have to, you have to twist their arm. 
And you have to go back and check on them and see if they've been doing it. And you have to maybe say, hey, come on, get on it. You were supposed to do it. You see the two very different kinds of servants there? Let's be the servants who are eager to serve our master. In another passage, Jesus talked about his servants who were to give food to the other servants at the proper time. I love that analogy. That, that we are like God's servants and we are to give food to God's other servants. Spiritually speaking, that would be giving the word of God to other people, giving encouragement to other people, serving them. So are we looking for ways to serve? Another thing that we should be doing as we're preparing ourselves and waiting for the day of the Lord is that we should avoid temptations. Again, there's this contrast between night and day in this passage, and we are not to walk around like those who, who get drunk at night. As alert, self-controlled servants of the Lord, we are to flee from sin. Think about that. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, I don't want him to find any of us in sin. And he could come. We don't know when he's going to come. So for that reason alone, we should seek to flee from sin just because we don't want to be sinning when he comes again. There's lots and lots of other reasons as well that we shouldn't be sinning because God sees all that we do anyways. So let's flee from sin. Are there any sins that you have been stuck in lately? Uh, we had a great discussion about that in, in Sunday school this morning. There is no sin that could come across your way, no temptation that could come across your way in which God will not give you all the power you need to overcome it. Please know that. I think too many of us have fallen for that lie that, oh, I'll just always be that way. I'll probably always struggle with it. Well, you know what? We might continue to struggle. But if we're going to struggle, let's, let's struggle for real in prayer and, and trust that God will give us what we need to overcome those things. Or another application here. Perhaps you've been coasting through life lately. Um, are there any of you that, okay, maybe you received Jesus a while ago and there have been seasons in your life where you've really been on fire, but maybe you're in a season of life right now where you're just kind of spiritually coasting. You kind of have figured out your life. You know when to get up each day. You know how to go to work. You know how to pay the bills. You know how to hang out with your family and your friends. You know how to do all the stuff of life and maybe your urgency for walking with the Lord has kind of waned. Maybe you're, maybe you're like a watchman on a wall that you're kind of like, well, nothing's happened for a while. Maybe I can just kind of take it easy. And maybe you've kind of fallen into this spiritual stupor, this, this spiritual sleep that God doesn't want us to be in. So you know what? I have a message for you. And I want you to listen closely. If you have been falling into a spiritual sleep, wake up! <laughs> Sometimes when I go to wake up my kids, I just say, time to get up, and they spring out of bed. Like, I have never done that in my life. Maybe like one day in my life. That's great. Other times, I've got to go, i got to pull off their covers. i got to, you know, do I need to go get a bucket of ice and pour it on you? But, uh, so, in all seriousness, there, there may be some of you that, as you look at the, the spiritual trajectory of your life, maybe you've been... Maybe you've been more on fire for the Lord at other points in your life than you are right now. And I just want to encourage you gently this time to say, wake up. Wake up. That's what the word means. Alert means wake up. Let's recognize what's going on in our life. And I just want to say, i kind of gotten at this point already, but I want to say it again. Everything we do in life has spiritual implications. 
It's not like we get to go to school or get to go to our job or get to go to our free time and, and that's our time. No, everything we do has spiritual implications. And I want us to walk around filled with the Holy Spirit at all times, ready to recognize what God has for us, whether that means that he wants us to serve, whether it means he wants us to be spending extra time in his word, uh, whether it means just having a spirit of worship as we go through life. Let's be spiritually alert recognizing the, the spiritual implications of what is going around, on around us. Always be in prayer. Always check your heart. That's one of the things I've been telling the college students a lot lately this semester too. Always check your heart. If you're finding yourself to be frustrated or angry or mad too much, do you know what? It's not the circumstances of life that are doing that to you because circumstances can't do that to you. It's the way that we respond that's doing that to us. So always be alert, be in prayer, constantly be talking to God about your heart and what's going on there. And again, I will say, the best way to prepare for what is coming is to walk daily with Jesus. And the encouragement here, because remember this passage ends with encouragement, the encouragement is that if we walk around as self-controlled and alert followers of Jesus Christ, we can have that confident peace that God gives to his children. Jesus is coming again. Let's be ready. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can walk with Jesus, that you have done everything necessary for us to know him and to be in him now and forever. We pray that we would walk with Jesus by faith, that we would always know Jesus Christ as our Lord and that you would constantly do your work of building us up and strengthening us in the faith, rooting us in Christ. Lord, help us to be people who walk around with hearts ready to praise you and to serve you and to meet with you and to encourage others. Thank you, God, that you have told us that Jesus is coming again, and we thank you that that's wonderful news for your children. And Lord, we think about those who don't yet know Jesus we pray that they would come to Jesus, even today. Help us to do our part to proclaim the gospel to them. We pray that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be prepared and ready, spiritually alert and self-controlled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.